You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Wolcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to Making Tracks. This is episode 91. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who, if he was starring in an Indiana Jones sequel, it would be called Raiders of the Lost Mark. Mark, how are you doing? <laughs> But only top men would be able to view me. Oh, top men. Top men, indeed. Yes. Yes. How are you, my friend? I'm very good. It's well, Sunday again, isn't it? It's another week's gone. And how? How has this week gone so quickly? It's blink ridiculous. Of an eye. Somebody literally feels like the blink of an eye. Yeah. But it's been a good one. There's been loads of news this week, loads to talk about, as always. Star Wars is back on television. We've got, you know, the Bad Bat, so we've got plenty to talk about there. We'll talk about episode three replacements in a bit. How's your week been? It's been a nice, quick week again. It must be like us getting older or something. Time must just. Oh, Oh, totally. You know, time is totally kind of catching up on us, unfortunately. So, but yeah, yeah. I'm good. Have you um, had any new Star Wars things dropped in the mailbox? I have actually. I've Ooh. had my comics consignment from Mr. Booker at Automatic Comics. So I've had a, a watch of comics. There's some really nice stuff. Loads of reviews will be coming to Fanta over the next week or so. So the, uh, the latest Vader, latest Afra, which of course you review, uh, mm-hmm. latest uh, Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters Alpha is out. So I've got that. I've got the Empire Strikes Back 40th Anniversary covers, the Chris Sprouse ones to have a little flick through. What else have I got? Oh, The Art of Star Wars Rebels, which okay. is beautiful because along with the book, it comes in a beautiful slipcase that when you lift the top up, the cover is two crossed lightsabers. Yes, that's and right. And the lightsabers ignite. It is so nice. Mm. So I'm really looking forward to having a good read through that. But see, yeah, apart from that, yeah, just little, as usual, odds and sods. Oh, Ooh. beautiful prints. Yes, a beautiful print that I ordered from uh, from my good buddy Joe Caroni. So that came through. So he did Ooh. three, mm. three prints. There was a, They were all convention exclusives. There was Leia, Luke, and I was missing Han Solo, and, and Han Solo came through this week. So it's absolutely gorgeous. Wicked. So that's already bagged and boarded and, and in with all my other prints. So really pleased with that. How about you? Any good stuff come to uh, Casa de Mark? Not a huge amount, to be honest, but also I can't believe I'm ha- I had to buy it again. Power Force 2, Ronto and Chower with the special edition box. Beast ah, Pack yes, from 97. I had it. I don't know where it went. I must have sold it at some point. I must have sold all those Beast Packs, that one, the Jewback and Jabba, because I don't seem to have them. And the room's not that big, but it could just kind of get lost. So those, for some reason, seem to be real specifically remind me of prime yeah. Star Wars time. Yeah. Special edition era. That was the first time I I'd seen it in the cinema and that so those so I don't quite know why they've just they've disappeared from my collection unless somebody's sneaking in in the middle of the night and removing stuff <laughs> and then selling it on eBay and maybe I've just rebrought it off for myself who knows um, but yeah so you know a, a solid week and obviously a nice uh, episode of Bad Batch to kind of cap off the week so yeah it's, it's been good well Bad Batch isn't the only show that's here this week we had the return last weekend of Good Morning Tatooine, yes. our weekly show on Fanthatrax TV, which is hosted by Brian Cameron. The first episode back, I came on, so it was me and Brian talking about all the latest Star Wars news, which was really cool. New graphics, 
slightly tweaked and changed up. It goes live on Fanthatrack's Facebook and on our YouTube channel concurrently, so they go out at the same time, and then we post it onto Fanthatrack's the site the following day. So go back and check that out, last week's episode. This week's episode, it's Brian and Carl, Carl Bayliss, so they'll be talking about all the latest Star Wars stuff. And yeah, so it's good to have that show back. You mentioned the Bad Batch, we'll talk about that in a bit. But first, mm-hmm. I would say, the big news of the week for people who are looking forward to getting out and about and going to conventions is that Celebration Anaheim has actually been brought forward by a few months. So originally yeah. it was planned for the 18th to the 21st of August next year over in Anaheim. And now that has been brought forward to the 26th to the 29th of May 2022. So, uh-huh. Mark, mm-hmm. they've moved it because obviously the world needs to get started again. And so many other things are happening in and around fandom and just getting the world back on its axis to some degree. What do you think they brought it for? Do you think it's a financial thing? Do you think maybe, you know, if you're in that time frame, you're talking 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones. Do you think it's that? Do you think maybe it's because of Kenobi coming, season three of Mando? What do you think? I think partly it might be down to the fact that there's a D23 in the summer as well. And maybe they were looking at it from a marketing perspective whatever it could be and just thought we can obviously then capture the whole of the summer rather than just august we can kind of have news break in may at the end of may um around like memorial day weekend and then obviously um in august with d23 you know and hopefully by then i guess maybe we might start to hear some news about the new star wars film which will be coming out a year later so that's a good point it might be something just like that there's enough products and enough shows that to kind of cram it all into that back end of uh, of august might not necessarily kind of work for them but from a marketing perspective to kind of spread stuff out you've got attack of the clones and all these films which you know have a 40th anniversary or a 20th anniversary or what have you i think celebration needs to make a good stand and celebrate the films that we've had but of course at the same time look to the future and then look to see what's coming down the pipe later on so yeah that's true Uh, like you say it's all well and good us going wow 20 years of attack of the clones or five years of the last jedi or you know whatever celebration it might be but you're absolutely right that with all the stuff on disney plus animated and live action with movies kicking up again with uh, Rogue Squadron and you know, the Tyka Project and the Ryan Johnson trilogy and all the other stuff that we've got to look forward to, I guess, yeah, you've got to kind of start thinking we need to celebrate what's here and what's coming rather than necessarily looking back. It's not the landscape it used to be, is it? No, it's not really. And I suppose it, that's the thing. D23 now, Star Wars is going to play a big part in that. I mean, it has done since really they brought um, Lucasfilm. So I guess you, you can't leave everything just a celebration there might be stuff that they want to keep back so it'll be interesting to see what gets announced when and where and, and how and by whom good point well Fanta tracks in one fashion or form will be at celebration anaheim next year we'll cover all the updates and news and information on the site we'll no doubt talk about it here on making tracks as well but yeah celebration anaheim is now 26th 29th of may 2022 hey man kevin smith star wars fan Fanta tracks fan so anybody that follows American chat shows will know that Jimmy Kimmel is the Star Wars guy. Anytime a new film or TV show is out and on, he will have guests from the galaxy far, far away coming on and talking about it. He's had some classics in the past, and he had another one there last week. He had Ewan McGregor on talking about all of his latest projects, but most specifically, obviously, 
about Obi-Wan Kenobi. He gave nothing away. He's not going to give anything away because that little red dot will probably be on his forehead at all times from the snipers <laughs> at Disney. So you've got to be careful. He clearly gave the impression of somebody that is very, very much looking forward to getting back into that storyline, back into the galaxy far, far away. But the only thing he said, I think, that was of any real meat on the bone was that he filmed a scene on May the 4th with somebody very special in his life. That could be anything and mm. somebody or something that he's never filmed with before what do you think did anything jump out at you from what he said or is he being as evasive as, as normal yeah very evasive but uh, it was a good 10 minute long interview lots of banter and pitter patter between the two so it was it was very enjoyable watch i thought maybe it might be his daughter because his daughter lives in la she is an up-and-coming actress and i think actually ewan might be producing like a film or some kind of like vehicle for her at some point a little bit later down the line so i wondered if it was that uh, unless of course like you know his old mate charlie boardman's kind of come on for a cameo <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good shout that's, that's a good, good idea fun. exactly who knows i mean we're, we'll find out whenever kenobi makes its way to disney plus but he's definitely up for it and i was really excited to hear him talk about how he's, he's training for like two and a half hours each day with lightsabers and that so it sounds like lightsaber combat seems to really be quite heavily focused or at least there will be i guess maybe a big lightsaber fight at some point or something you yeah. know whether or not it's between yeah. an, another force shooter or whether or not it's him kind of taking on a load of Tuscans or irate moisture farmers who've uh, had, <laughs> you know, had come to kind of like collect their wives. Who knows? Who knows? There are plenty of irate moisture farmers on Tatooine. Yeah. Speaking of which, Joel Edgerton was speaking with Uprocks, Mike Reiner Uprocks, chatting about his latest projects, which includes the Underground Railroad, which has just come to Amazon Prime. Can't not talk about Star Wars. How can you not talk about Star Wars? And and Ryan basically mentioned, you know, your backers on Glowing, Joel kind of can't talk about it you know doesn't really say too much but they did come across a, a nice little moment where he says about how we met phil brown star wars celebration too so there's a little bit of conversation there isn't there yeah, exactly. I mean, he does kind of like allude to the fact that it's going to be a fairly, at least memorable kind of start to the appearance on Kenobi. I think, you know, he says, but give me two seconds, I'm going to turn it into four. So he's he's really eager to um, make sure that he makes an impact with the return of, of Uncle Iron Man. So, but I think it's great. I think it's great that they're talking about it so, so far out. I mean, you know, they're still quite heavily in production so i guess i don't know what do we reckon kenobi's going to be out what next year do we reckon it's going to be out before or or after celebration i think you're probably looking at the back end of next year personally because we've you know we've got 16 episodes of bad batch then we've got book of boba fett then we've probably got mandalorian season three and then probably season two of bad batch i think kenobi they'll be pitching it back end of next year my gut tells me that which is why i was surprised that they did change celebration because it kind of felt like this could be the uh, the event that really is, you know, yeah, the, the spine event. of it will be Kenobi. Yeah, yeah mm. totally, yeah. But that doesn't seem to be the case. So, yeah, we'll see. I- I'm happy to be surprised, I think. I'm Gareth Edwards, and you're listening to Tracks Radio. The music of Star Wars, obviously hugely important to fans and to anybody who loves the saga. Good news, Kevin Kiner's scores for The Bad Batch Season 1 are coming to digital download. So June the 25th, we'll see episodes 1 to 8 arrive. And then on the 20th of August, we'll get episodes 9 to 16. So, Mark, we get confirmation of 16 episodes of The Bad Batch and Mm -hmm. we get the music. How cool is that? And actually, one thing I keep on forgetting to bring up in our reviews is the, uh, the music a little bit, and also the fact that there's no 
real it like intro music is there even less no. so than star wars rebels it's really kind of like sparse on that so kevin has has knocked out of the park so far in the last three episodes that i've seen i will definitely be downloading all of these and, and like you say it's nice to have sign of confirmation about the fact that it's going to be 16 episodes so that's a big old chunk of tv time so um where we actually end up by episode 16 who knows but I, yeah. i'm really excited to be able to kind of get these and hopefully one day these might or some of these tracks might actually make their way onto vinyl for us collectors so it'd be it'd be even better if that happens oh totally i I chatting to people on twitter yesterday and, and one of the questions when this piece went up on the site was is it coming on vinyl you know and i said well i personally i want i would love i can visualize it you know when right when they did the four box set for indie you know, in a beautiful, that beautiful leather brown box. Yeah. You know, CD, and you open the CDs and they look like the little mini albums. And, mm-hmm. and they've done vinyl stuff. Disney seem really up for, for doing this. I really want, and obviously Mandalorian Season 1 with the eight discs in the box. There's definitely scope to do something like that for Clone Wars. They've done various releases for Clone Wars, certainly for the Bad Batch. Uh, and also going back to the music, there isn't much of an intro. You know, you hit skip intro on, you save yourself about three seconds. <laughs> yeah. It's not really worth it, is it? But but I like that. It, it says to me something about the show, that this is a nitty-gritty, nuts-and-bolts kind of story. And we'll talk about replacement in a minute. You know, there's a lot more going on than just the linear A-team aspect of what these characters are doing. But nevertheless, it feels like part of the the nuts and bolts of what the bad batch is is like we ain't messing around we're going to get straight into the action we've got 28 minutes and we're going to give you as much as we can you know that's how it feels to me anyway so good news it's coming to digital though definitely hello i'm ahmed best and you're listening to fanta tracks so in the 40th anniversary year of Raiders of the Lost Ark, good news for people who love the soundtrack and love the score and love seeing the film on a big screen, they are screening it in Millennium Square in Leeds here in the UK on Sunday the 25th of July. Tickets £21.50 for grown-ups, £11 for kids. There's a VIP upgrade for £12.50 and it kicks off at 3.30 in the afternoon. It's perfectly set up to be awesome and amazing. It's a bit of a drive for you, Mark, but is that something you'd consider coming up and hearing a live orchestra play? Uh, it's the Orchestra of Opera North uh, performing it, coming up and seeing Raiders. Yeah, I guess I would be. I mean, I've I've seen Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back in concert at the Royal Albert Hall, which is amazing. Still waiting for Return of Jedi because it got cancelled last year because of COVID, um, but it's back on, I think, in the end of October so yeah. I'm really looking forward to that but John Williams music in a live live environment with an orchestra you can't beat it really and and to be fair I think Raiders is definitely one of my favorite John Williams soundtracks by any stretch so it's a possibility I'd love to see it come down south a little bit maybe to BRH or somewhere else um I have a look in the diary and see if I can make some time for that one I think did I take it you're going to go up because you're you're a big indie fan aren't you so yeah definitely I mean I've seen I've seen Raiders in concert at the Symphony Hall in Birmingham. That was phenomenal. Uh, I think I've told this on the show before. As a kid, I had the choice to see Raiders or Condor Man. And me and my friend chose Condor Man because we'd seen a clip of Raiders and it looked quite scary, so we never went to see it. So considering I'd had it on via, well, Video 2000, I'd had it on Video 2000 since like 83, I think, 83, 84. It was before Temple of Doom came out. It was a film I was tremendously enamoured with. Got the soundtrack on cassette when I was a kid and the whole thing... Didn't see it on a big screen until Dave Tree put on the Ford and Bridge Film and TV Festival in 2010 and Robert Watts came down and presented it, you know, did the introduction and that was amazing to see it on a bigger screen than my meagre little television. Unless there's anything else that will drag me away from, from Leeds on the 25th of July, I'm pretty sure I'll be down there for that. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com. 
for Star Wars News 24-7, 365. So already we're at episode three of season one of The Bad Batch, and this week we were treated to an episode called Replacements. It's uh, another deep dive into the era, the post-Order 66 era, as the Empire is really digging its heels in and making the galaxy theirs. What did you think of episode three? I thought it was a really dark episode, not only Mm. tonally speaking, but also aesthetically speaking as well. I mean, it looked really dark in some of those scenes when we go back to Onderon and obviously when they crash land on the, the asteroid. A little bit of a different kind of pace to the previous episodes. Interestingly, they split their time between the Bad Batch, Remain Bad Batch, and of, and of course Crosshair. I think it starts to change, actually, our perception of maybe what this show's going to be, um, the dynamics between the protagonists and, of course, Crosshair as the antagonist. Yeah, the show has got the core group now, you know, including Echo as, as part of that batch and, and navigating the relationship between Amiga and, and everybody else. This episode spent just as much time focusing on Crosshair and I think it also said something about Tarkin, the fact that, you know, he sends Clone Force 99 there to do a mission in the previous couple of episodes and they don't do it. And now he's like, I want this job done. He's he's already identified Saw Gerrera and, and the sort of the spark of rebellion, if you like, as being an issue. So he wants them wiped out. Crosshair and his, his enlisted men, these aren't clones. He's the only clone in this equation go back to Onderon. And we said before we started recording, there's stuff in Revenge of the Sith that they allude to stuff that's really grim, but you don't really see it, apart from Anakin falling into a lava pit. Yeah. But in this one, you know, you see pretty clearly that Crosshair and his soldiers are, well, certainly Crosshair, are prepared to really go that extra mile. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they, they weren't taking on real soldiers. They were wiping out women and children and, and civilians um, and it was pretty graphic at least implied graphic I mean you don't actually really see them get burnt alive but you hear it um, the only thing I think you're missing from that shot actually was the fact that you didn't see kind of a fire glow on uh, Crosshair's helmet which would have probably really yeah. kind of like nailed it home so maybe as a compliance thing and maybe somebody thought it was a little bit too dark for, for that interesting to see how kind of we're starting to move away from clone troopers as the preferred weapon of choice and then we suddenly got these kind of like this elite squad and I was expecting in because there's like a, a brunette woman I was thinking are they going to call her Iden Versio because I was just thinking yeah. this would almost be like a perfect way to introduce some kind of like Inferno squad so I thought that was interesting how they're talking about conscription rather than just clones who are just bred and that you know in theory conscription should basically breed a different type of loyalty um, which interestingly you didn't see because obviously um, the dude who kind of questions Crosshair he gets a blaster bolt for his uh, for actually standing up for the civilians so you know you kind of think if you know you remove Crosshair from that situation whether or not maybe we've got a slightly different more empathic empire and, and troopers yeah. it's yeah. interesting so it'll be interesting to see his influence going forward on these new re- recruits and these conscripts are going to kind of make their way through the ranks one thing that stood out to me in that sequence though was and Tarkin kind of said it back on Camino in how expensive clones are yeah. and that it's cheaper to just get conscripted men and women and train them up send them off to Corrida you know and get them trained or whatever and, and feed them the rations and give them the orders the Emperor when he was getting a, a droid army built on Geonosis and a clone army grown on Kamino and he's controlling both sides independently yeah. and bringing them together in a conflict to set up the masterstroke. You know, you know, there's Order 66, but there are other orders. I think what's going to be tricky or really clever in the way that Galen Erso lighting the fuse inside the Death Star, 
that whole plot twist in, in Rogue One is so damn clever. They've now explained how there was a small thermal exertus port right below the main port sort of logic. Why would they do that? That's stupid. Well, the guy that designed it put it there as a as a, a backdoor way of taking out the station if you needed to. You know, and they explain why he did it, which is why Rogue One is genius. Yeah. Maybe in Bad Batch you'll have the explanation of logically, if the Emperor can just grow more stormtroopers and embed within them the capacity to instigate an Order 66 type scenario, why on earth wouldn't he do that? Is it arrogance? Well, it can't be arrogance because he's thought this through. He's played such a long game. His arrogance comes right at the end, doesn't it? His arrogance comes Mm, at the end of Jedi and the end of, of Rise of Skywalker. That's when the Emperor's really arrogant. He thinks he's got it in the pocket and he hasn't. But at this point, playing the bigger general looking down at the chessboard sort of scenario, he's, he's pretty much undefeated, isn't he? He's got it nailed as much as he possibly can. So it, you've got to explain why he wouldn't just clone an army. And I think Bad Batch will be the show that shows you that. Yeah, I think so. I think you're completely right with that. And also, I just wonder if maybe but something to be said, when you've got clones who are bred in a very sterile environment, they might be great for taking on battle droids who are created in a very sterile environment. But yeah. actually, now we're talking about actually having to manage and deal with the galaxy's population. And so there's got to be a certain logic that actually, if you've got members of Alderaan being conscripted, they will be best placed to deal with Alderanians, for instance. And, yeah. But also, I mean, it said in the episode, doesn't it? The genetic code that they pulled out of Django Fett is degrading. And so that's going to have an impact. Let's face it, it's got to be like copying a, an audio cassette. You, you get about two or three kind of generations down from that first recording yeah. and it starts to sound a bit crap. More kind of like errors and problems kind of get introduced into the, into the recording. So then by the time you're on the eighth or the tenth copy, it sounds completely crap and is going to be... Uh, dud so i, I suppose yeah. that's probably kind of a logic behind it as well i love the, the way that they've sort of put that sort of analog feel into it because you kind of think when they took jang oh, this is going way too deep for star wars it doesn't need to be this deep but i'm just thinking logically you know they take jango's dna let's say you know they, they've got him as the template for the clones and the first you know first generation however many are just perfect and they're enough to take the galaxy but now it's not that they have Django's DNA written down in binary on a sheet of paper. They physically need something literally from him and of him, a guy who's now dead, to make more. It's a case of, well, we've actually run out of Django DNA. So the best thing we've got is the first generation clone, like you say. And it's a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy, isn't it? So I love the fact that that just feels like a very analog answer, you know, as opposed to a digital answer where you just go, well, just type in. 110110, you know what I mean? Yeah, for a exactly. thousand times. Yeah. And just make it that way. So, with the Emperor now having the galaxy, and he's got popular opinion, you'd imagine, pretty much on his side, apart from small pockets of resistance. And this is another thing. And I think this is something that's going to come out more as the show goes on the whole concept of the separatist movement, that the Emperor identified the separatist movement as something to weaponize and use it against the Republic. Because I think if there was a separatist movement without Palpatine behind it, and this was just a general conversation in the Senate, they would find a a middle ground somehow, and you'd have a rejig of how the galaxy is set up. But not everybody wants to be part of a republic. But then that doesn't necessarily mean that they're fighting each other. It was the the emperor that weaponized that political train of thought and made them adversaries. Whereas in fact, it's probably just a just an ideal, just a different way of looking at the the way the galaxy works. And so. The separatist movement, we viewed it as a negative, Yeah, they're the enemy, 
but in fact they're not. They've just got a different way of looking at the way the galaxy's set up. So I think that could come into it more. The Emperor's now got a change of axis. He hasn't got the Jedi around anymore to sort of stand on his shoulder and watch what he's doing. He's there's no watchmen anymore, is there? You know, they've no, gone. The no watchmen one. have gone. Yeah. He he's now the he's now the overseer of everything. So I think that could play into it as well. Yeah. Uh, there's there's like no checks and balances. Yeah. But and also I think where the Empire really kind of falls down, the old republic doesn't necessarily have, partly because of the nature of the Jedi, is yeah. ambition. You know, it's ambition mm. of people like Tarkin and Vice Admiral Rampart, who becomes Admiral Rampart by the end of the episode. I do love how they um, do seem to kind of get these on-field kind of promotions like that. No pomp and ceremony, just a quick nod. Well done. Yeah, you're now Admiral and now you're what have you. Um, <laughs> it's it's a bit like, you know, Rogue One in the books. I mean, it's referred to as like, you know, the, you know, the Tarkin initiative and the Tarkin project and stuff because it was Tarkin who was kind of spearheading this. And so therefore it's like all down to ambition. And, and in, in a similar kind of way, you've got um, Rampart who's kind of saying, yeah, let's not use these clones. Let's conscript people. You know, so he's pushing his agendas as equally as much. So it's really fascinating and it's great because it's just like it's it's given us a really nice bit of kind of meat to chew over Mm. because the thing is you know on first blush if you look at this episode there's a part of me where it kind of goes well this has felt like it could have almost been very similar to that second episode of the second season of Mandalorian where he kind of crash lands on the ice planet but actually there's a lot more going on in this than I think meets the eye I mean yes there's not any dramatically big action pieces Um, even the stuff on Onderon is quite short and sharp and that and that's just fair to just kind of show how efficient these, these elite troopers are you know, you've kind of got these two different storylines going, well, three different storylines going on, really. And with with a bad batch, again, it's about how we can start to fit Omega, and I'm trying to pronounce her name correctly. <laughs> I did yeah. look at this. So yeah. I did look, yeah, I looked at this. And in, in the US and in the U, UK, we pronounce Omega as Omega. But in Australia, it's Omega. So obviously there's like the regional thing. But yeah, I actually Googled it and I listened to different pronunciations on YouTube and Wikipedia. And I was like, okay, fine, it's Omega then. So they they spent the time on this episode not to actually kind of say, no kid, you're too young. And and she just goes off and does it anyway. They're kind of like, well, okay, let's just bring it along. Which kind of shows two things. One, that we're really crap parents because, (laughs) you know, if you had an (laughs) eight-year-old, you wouldn't send him out as an asteroid like that. But then actually their experience and training probably was actually at at Omega's age. They were probably being told how to shoot a blaster and how to kind of do all kind of tactical stuff. They can only rely on their experience. So it's it's going to create a really interesting kind of developmental thing for her because in theory hopefully we're not going to constantly be having this button heads of like you know she wants to do stuff and they don't want to let her because they want to protect her i can quite easily see by the end of this first season that she's going to be a real kick-ass fighter oh totally and i love the thought process of like you say they were raised on camino to a certain point and would have seen nothing but the training and you know and all the stuff they went through like the room that you see in the first episode you know that Tarkin's overseeing that would be their experience and obviously they're clones so they're bred to age quicker it's like dog years how many how many clone years in one year and yeah thinking that that Rex must be about 150 you know what I mean (laughs) you know nevertheless that's the point so you know those eight-year-old physically eight-year-old kids haven't grown to eight years old in our time frame to appear to be an eight-year-old kid if you're a clone maybe three or four years it's it's a different pace but i love the thought that yeah you know their experience when they were that age was training fighting tactical combat all that sort of stuff and i think it goes back a little bit to something you said a few minutes ago when you were talking about how the clones are very used to fighting 
battle droids. And you would imagine in terms of tactics and such that battle droids, eventually you kind of get used to how battle droids think. Unless they've got an Admiral Trench overseeing it, very specifically telling them what to do and where to do it, you could read what they were going to do. Oh, well, Mm. we're in a mountain terrain, so they're going to do this. We're on a flat desert plane, they're going to do that. And eventually a clone trooper or his commander could figure out what their attack pattern would be. Like you say, if you're sending those same clones now out into the world with just regular people who are very random and eclectic and never do the same thing twice, all of a sudden the variables have changed. So I think those troopers would struggle more to pacify defeat whatever you know that it would be it's a different equation for those guys and i think with amiga i'm trying to do the same as you now with amiga (laughs) you know she's probably grown i think she's i mean she's from the same batch you'd think logically they were all bred inverted commas at the same time they the boys if you want were accelerated and the Kamina and Lady took Amiga as her aid, and it just feels to me like she grew at the same pace as Janga, as, as Boba rather. And that may be dismissed at some point as, as not being necessarily the case, but that's how it reads to me. And so she's grown at a regular speed and seen all the stuff that she's seen on Kamina, which is very limited. But like you say, not great parenting, but what else do they know? And also... She's got to learn. She's made the choice to be with them. She can't just stay on the ship all the time. So she's got to get out there and learn. It was a really neat little thing. Like you said about how this whole formation of the Empire and just looking at the balance of everything is probably written as the B story and Amiga and the Bad Batch is the A story in the nicest way possible because the potential importance of the setting up of the galaxy is so vital. That, to me, felt like the A story, and Amiga and the Bad Batch almost felt like the B story. That's not knocking either story. That's just my perception of it. Yeah, no, exactly. I know what you mean. Near the end of the episode, I think even Amiga kind of says, you know, we've got to go and rescue Crosshair. Do we think that's what their next point of call is, is to start thinking about how they're going to rescue Crosshair? I mean, we saw that Tech was starting to play around with some kind of equipment to adapt or kind of neutralise the inhibitor chips. Whereas before, I think, you know, taking it from a very literal... This is going to be like the A-team kind of perspective. And I was kind of expecting Crosshair to kind of literally, you know, follow them and chase them across the galaxy as they kind of, you know, right the wrongs that the Empire's done, at, you know, in small villages and all that kind of stuff, you know, rescuing yeah. loft cats out of trees and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm starting to think that possibly now, yeah, they're going to try and find a way to either infiltrate Camino again and at least attempt one last time to get Crosshair back, really, and try and, I guess, neutralise that chip so he can... Uh, rejoin the bad batch yes in a word i think that <laughs> you know when we said about when we said about them basically being the a team and we've yeah. put a really easy label if you remember the a team of course that feels like an obvious comparison yeah i think already three episodes in it's like nah this ain't that show no. there's way more depth to this than that there's way more going on we're going to see so much more of the galaxy in the way i expect cassian Andor to be the same you've got that focal character and with this you've got that focal team and you've got the kitchen sink drama of them making it work with Omega as a character and becoming part of that batch. I think Hunter said it when they were going after, was it the Moon Dragon, that creature that took the, the part? Yes, that's you know, right. He says, yeah, it's D&D. You know, yeah. Each of us has an enhanced skill. We don't know what Omega's enhanced skill is yet, so something's going to come out. It's not. It can't be... I mean, she was quite stealthy, but it's only because she's small. Something else will come out about her that you go, well, that's that's her special ability. Unless she's an all-rounder. So unless basically she's rather than, you know, if if we imagine, like you said, in a D&D kind of term, like everybody's kind of maxed their special ability, but maybe her abilities are kind of not as good, but she's got every little kind of aspect of the other four bad batches. So actually she could be the next generation, but the super 
clone trooper, shall we say, who is, you know, yeah. even improved, you know, marksman and improved tech. And, you know, we don't actually know how strong she is. I mean, because it's obviously it's all relative because of the fact that she's, uh, you know, she's a kid. It could be something like that. But in terms of Crosshair... I think back to the, there was a sequence when she sat next to Crosshair and he's quite, he's the grouchy kind of doesn't want to be bothered he's, with anybody yeah, else's introverted. character. Introverted, yeah. Absolutely. And she has that little conversation with him and basically says, you know, it's not your fault. You do realise it's not your fault. And she says that to the rest of the guys when they're a little bit annoyed because they're brothers and there's that, that sort of bantery aspect to them. They're yeah. all facets of the same personality but separate, you know. You see when the ship's coming down onto the onto the moon, you see Wrecker bang his head and you kind of get the feeling, was that just him banging his head? Or I think he knows there's a physical chip in there and I think he's trying to short-circuit the chip. So that's my my brain mm. saying that's that's where he's going with that. He's the one that sets up the room for Amiga at the end. So he understands he's starting to get making a part of the team aspect. I think even they think that the, the guys that are left Maybe not Echo so much because he's not specifically one of the batch. He's just there as a soldier yeah. as, and working with them as a team. But the other guys realise that they're all one. And Amiga's here now and it's like, hang on, we've got this little thing that, that we didn't know we were missing. And now she's here. That feels correct and complete. Yeah. But we haven't got crosshair now. So to go back to your point, I think, yes, they will go back for crosshair. It's whether or not, and you did see that shot of the end when they go into the old Bad Batch quarters on Camino, and it's all been changed, and you see sort of Crosshair look around, and he doesn't say it, but he's like, this don't feel right. Yeah. This is our old quarters. All the other mess and nonsense has gone. It was very clean and orderly. And he sits there and sort of looks down. So even he's having doubts, and yet on Onderon, he's the one that takes out the other trooper. He's the one that orders them to pacify, take out the Onderon rebels, separatists as they were. So it's still very up in the air what his reaction be if they go back to get him. It comes down to a chip, doesn't it? It comes down to an inhibitor yeah. chip because it's him. He said it like, good soldiers follow orders. And it's because of that chip, it's probably a real black and white situation. It's like, these are the orders. We're going to follow them through. Once the mission's complete and we go back home, then there's probably a semblance of his personality can return. But you can yeah. almost imagine it a bit like with Order 66. It kind of switches on. He does a mission, probably doesn't think about it. And again, that'll be a thing. What happens you know, if he now goes to another planet and he has to do the same kind of thing and he has to do it for like another four or five planets or another four or five villages, for instance, do we then start to see a cumulative kind of like remorse and grief affect yeah. him when he comes back? Or is it literally just like he's a stone cold killer and it's all about the mission and nothing else? You look at the team and you think Crosshair is a sniper. He's the, he's the range guy. He's the guy that can be a, like Cassian on Edo in, yeah. in Rogue One, isn't it? He's at a distance and he's like, I can cap this guy off. I know I can do it. It's raining but, and he's a mile away, but I can do it. It's what I do. And he has that prang of conscience that makes him go, this don't feel right. This isn't right. Crosshair's a clone, so he's wired differently because he's built differently. And like you say, he's got the inhibitor chip inside him. But you've got to wonder, like you say, when that snaps in, when that red mist comes down, he's just all business. But as soon as the mission's done, and like you say, he gets back on the ship, he gets back to his quarters, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, what have I done? Should I have done that? Have I done the right thing? Cumulative effect is perfect isn't it you know it's like over so many missions maybe that's how clones go defective yeah. maybe that you can do all the other things you can enhance their abilities you can give them strength you can make them follow orders but they're still men they're clones of men but they're still men or women as well of course but at some point they'll sit down and look at the scenario and go i should not have done that but i couldn't stop myself doing that and what does that do to a psyche i think bad batch could get really deep into stuff like this i'm derek arnold and uh, i get my news from fanfatrax 
So for the, what, third week in a row, we've got a listener's question. Thank you for sending these in. Keep them coming. It's a really good one this week. It's from Christian Horsfield, and I shall read it out in its entirety. Are you ready? Go on, and Poised. About three years ago, there was a big announcement about expansions to Disneyland Paris involving a Star Wars area, a Marvel area, and a Frozen area. Since then, the people at Disneyland Paris seem to have gone very quiet on the Star Wars land. The Marvel and Frozen expansions seem to be moving ahead, but not Star Wars. Do you think the suits at Disney have lost faith in the general public's appetite for Star Wars and the sequel trilogy setting of Galaxy's Edge to the point where they don't have the confidence for a multi-year, multi-million Euro expansion to Disneyland Paris? Keep up the excellent work, Christian Horsfield. So thank you, Christian, for that question. We have kind of touched on this recently in, in, in a roundabout way, but this is quite specific. He's talking about Disneyland Paris. So straight to you, Mark. Do you think that there will be... A Star Wars expansion, if there is, do you think it will be a Galaxy's Edge Batuu expansion? What are your thoughts? Obviously, when you go to Disneyland Paris, it's it's not as big as, say, going to like Hollywood Studios or anything like that. So the original Star Tours ride and little environment there was greatly reduced, and it was all in French as well, uh, which makes it really an interesting experience when you don't understand a word of French. This could just be a matter of we're still kind of like in the pandemic kind of era, and we're still a little bit unknown as to what's going to happen. Maybe they're just being a little bit cautious. I don't know actually know how much real estate they really have to play with in Paris to kind of like how, how big an expansion they can really do. I mean, it would be great if they could do something as big as Galaxy's Edge, but I doubt they will. And maybe this is just something that's going to be again scaled down. I don't know. Have you heard much? What, what What's your thoughts? Uh, only what they said originally, that it's not Galaxy's Edge, it's like Star Wars land, that you wouldn't get the Falcon, but you would get, I think it was Pose X-Wing. So it was the pictures that I saw was it was a much smaller layout, more sort of steeped and different levels and such. Certainly Batu. But I think back to when Paramount were involved in the Star Trek experience in Vegas when they built it at the Hilton. You know, you would argue that the least successful Star Trek series at that time was Deep Space Nine. And yet the Star Trek experience was Quark's. It was all set around DS9, the promenade, you know, the restaurant, the food area. And of course, it fit because on DS9, there was a promenade, there was a shop area, there was a restaurant and all of that. So, you know, thematically, stylistically, it made the most sense. But really, if you think about it, what they should have done was they should have made it 10 Ford and come up with a corridor on the Enterprise. And you should have really done well, it on the Borg, Enterprise. wasn't it? Well, they put the Borg 4D in later and they yeah. put the Klingon experience, the ride in there. So, you know, And there was part of the Enterprise you could, you could go on the Enterprise yeah, bridge. Yeah, on the bridge, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, that. and there was they did the Grand Corridor, which you saw in the plans, but you never saw in the TV show. So there was loads of things that, that made it all fit. But the point being is was the focal point was it was DS9, basically. In relation to this, you've got the two east and west in the States already, east and west coast. I don't know if there's any plans to do stuff in the Far East because there's a few Disneyland locations there. Maybe with Paris because they always want it to be slightly different and also they want to give you a reason to want to go to different places. I'm sure Disney would be perfectly happy if you only ever went to Florida or you only ever went to California. But, you know, if you go to California, for example, there's Radiator Springs. There isn't yeah. a Radiator Springs at Orlando. I might be wrong, but I think there's Toy Story Land at Orlando, but that's not at Anaheim and so on and so forth. Yeah. So there's reasons to go to both parks. Maybe Disney would be well served in the long run to do something similar with this. So maybe make it a more of a generic Star Wars setting than specifically B2, because the way B2 was designed, and again, I've got it right here, the Art of Galaxy Z, it's phenomenally designed and the detail and everything else. But B2, even though it's been around forever in the Star Wars galaxy, in storylines anyway, 
So you could visit Batu at any point of time, prequel, sequel, OT, way further out than that if you want to. It does feel like a sequel trilogy setting. So if Disney want to catch more general people, you'd maybe want to change the radar dish on the Falcon back to a round one. You know what I mean? <laughs> Silly little things like that, you know, and just and just make it feel more generically yeah. Star Wars. In, in, you know what I'm getting yeah. at by saying that, you know? So I think maybe Disneyland Paris could go down that route you know, you don't put Poe's X-Wing, you put Luke's X-Wing. You don't put the Falcon with the square dish, you put Falcon with the round dish. And all of a sudden people go, that's the ships I know from my childhood. Or the parents taking the kids go that, you know what I mean? And it's generic enough to catch more people. Not that they're doing bad. I found some concept art and there's an article on SolidarisParis.com, which basically actually is written March of this year. They talk about all the different expansions and they've put a date, a proposed date for like the Star Wars land details. It's said to open in 2024 and 2025. If this is correct, it's still a few years off and that might be why we've not heard anything from it. So it sounds like the Star Wars land was going to open after like Iron Man and the Web Slingers attraction. So it sounds like it's further down the list. But the concept art, it's very much a Batu setting, that mountainous rock kind of facing. But yes, it's uh, just Pose X-Wing. And they state that attractions still unknown, uh, even though Star Wars Galaxy is just now open in California Park. No info has dropped as for a possible port of one or two of the attractions. But what they do say is there's going to be a new restaurant with less than 300 seats, which is again going to open between 2024 and 2025, more stores and then meet and greets. So it sounds like it's going to be just a smaller area. Hopefully, Star Tours are still going to be there, if nothing else. But yeah, you'd kind of hope there would be something else. I mean, I don't imagine they will develop a specific Disneyland Paris attraction, like a new ride. Maybe there might, again, be something slightly different between the two. Because as you say, it's perfect. You don't have everything on all the parks, because then what's the impetus for people to go travel from the UK over to Florida if they just hop over to Paris and kind of experience the same kind of rides and stuff? bar on the weather yeah. so hopefully yeah maybe that's answered it a little bit better maybe it's because it's still a little bit too early and maybe we'll hear more about it in next year's d23 that makes sense no you're right and, and again you said it at the top of the show when we talked about celebration you know moving it forward to give d23 room to breathe you'll definitely get announcements at d23 it kind of feels like that's where you would get parks news rather yeah. than at celebration because it just feels like the whole media is going to be on top of that so even the marvel media will want to talk about stuff like this and there's overlap there anyway Marvel and Star Wars because of the comics Christian thank you so much for the question it's a really good one I think we'll probably come back to it over the next couple of years if we're still doing the show over the next couple of years I'm sure we will be you will be uh, and, uh, I will be but I'm here ready and uh, you know and we'll, we'll see where we go with uh, with this because uh, again I think as Star Wars develops as the sequel trilogy will eventually get more expanded upon it's got to be you know there's yeah. not been that many books there's not been any animated series other than Resistance, that, that kind of was at the, the beginning of that era, it feels like there will be more. Maybe at some point we'll be getting more news. We'll bring it to you here on the site. Thanks for that question, Christian. Like Mark said, I think we will keep an eye on that and just see how it develops over the, um, the coming weeks, months and years. But if anybody else has got a question about Disney parks, about Star Wars, about the Bad Batch, about anything in general, really, as long as it's nothing too personal, by all means, send it over. Mark, how can they get in touch if they want to send us something? They can get in touch and they can get in touch like this. If you want to be a part of the action, stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit fanthatracks.com or check out the free... Free! Panther Tracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. Perfectly done. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at fanthatracks.com. Drop us an email, 
anything we'll talk about anything send it in we'll talk it through and you'll get your name shouted out on the podcast comment like and share on any of our social media feeds at fan the tracks and be sure to subscribe leave a review on amazon music audible apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice and as always thanks to james simple for composing the fan the tracks intro Adam O'Brien for our making tracks opening music and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers just to say Mark Daniel got married this week so many congratulations to Mark and his new bride and uh, yeah another episode in the can episode 91 already that's crazy 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 and of course as a reminder don't forget to check out Good Morning Tatooine absolutely weekly 9 o'clock UK time 5 o'clock New York time 1 o'clock Pacific time, if I remember correctly, uh, on uh, Fanta Tracks. So it's on Fanta Tracks Facebook on Sunday evenings at nine and on Fanta Tracks YouTube at the same time. And then the following day, we embed it onto the site. So come and have a watch. It's always good fun. And uh, yeah, we'll just chew over the latest news. Brilliant. So, Mark, take care, mate. I will catch you, no doubt, later on in the week. And of course, everybody else, thank you for listening. Stay safe, wear a mask, and may the force be with you. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's another episode of. Making tracks. You really give that some welly when you shout at that, didn't you? <laughs>